Good evening, you're listening to the Parliament of Rooks podcast, episode 6, Gotta Have Fate. Fate, fate can be the trap in your path, the bitter cup of your tears, your wine of wrath. Fate can be shade in the desert blaze. Sudden food in a famine found The sound of praise Incomprehensible and strange Welcome back everyone to the Party on Rooks podcast. I'm your host Thomas Lanise. And with him as always is his wife Melanie Lanise. So it feels good to be uh, recording again. It's actually been about two weeks since we sat down to do one of these. Yeah, it has. It's been a while, but you were away. Yeah, I know. Normally we have about a, a two-week lead time on this, but uh, as Mel says, yeah, I was away for work for a couple weeks, so uh, we got to try to edit this up and push it out in about a day. Oh, you'll be fine. Yeah, we'll see. So... <laughs> <laughs> The one thing we got going for us is actually this week is Super Bowl Sunday, so maybe our, our regular listeners are going to be like downloading a day late, so yeah, I can squeeze a couple extra hours into that. Got a little wiggle room there. Yeah, but I'm actually super excited about this episode um, because up till now, um, you know, we've been doing some classic stories, but um, but for the most part, the characters that we've been dealing with have been a little bit obscure. You know, most people are not really Eclipso fans or, you know, certainly not Mark Miss, Merlin. Mark Merlin or Misto <laughs> or what have you. Um, but tonight we're really sort of digging into the, the meat of the, uh, the supernatural world as far as DC is concerned. Um, you'd mentioned last time that, you know, you were looking to see more Dr. Fate coming out of that uh, JLA-JSA crossover. Uh-huh. Um, well, tonight we're all fate all the time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to take a look at his uh, his Silver Age reintroduction, and then we're going to go back to the, the very roots and take a look at the first two Dr. Fate stories ever. Oh, nice. Yeah. So with that in mind, I thought the time was ripe to uh, maybe take a closer look at Dr. Fate's creator, uh, the writer Gardner Fox, uh, a name that um, you'd be f- a little bit familiar with as we've gone through this podcast, um, because he was the uh, the author of all the JLA tales that we've looked at thus far, mm-hmm. and I had alluded to the fact that he was also the creator of the Justice Society. Mm-hmm. But as I began doing the research for this episode and you know delving deeper into his history, um, my mind was just blown with um, you know what a wide spanning uh, range of interest. Uh, Gardner Fox had and just how many things he touched over his career. Um, he's what they refer to as, uh, and forgive me if I'm getting the pronunciation wrong, but a, a polymath, um, basically an individual whose academic interests span, you know, a wide variety of, of topics. Uh, you know, he had an interest in archaeology and astronomy and history. Outside of comic books? Outside of comic books, yeah. You know, he... Um, do you remember the very first episode we were taking a look at the letter column and there was, um, you know, that fellow Jerry Bales yeah. who I mentioned was, yeah, the, the researcher. The database guy. Yeah. So he, ma- he maintained a, a correspondence with Gardner Fox throughout his life. And, uh, you know, I'm reading a, a quote here from one of his letters. And, uh, and to Jerry Bales, he wrote that, uh, that he maintains two file cabinets chock full of stuff. He says his attic is crammed with books and magazines, everything <laughs> about science, nature, and unusual facts. I can go to my files and, or the at least 2,000 books I have. Wow. Yeah, so I, I'm speculating <laughs> here, but you know all those little science features we see in all those books? I wouldn't doubt if Gardner Fox was actually the author <laughs> of a good deal of those. He may have been pulling them from his personal library. Yeah. He, um, yeah, I found out that he didn't even start as a writer. Um, back in the early days, he actually wanted to pursue law. He huh. went to law school. He passed the bar in, in New York State. Um, huh. And he actually worked in the field for a couple years. Uh, until the the Great Depression hit, and uh, oh, yeah. yeah, he lost his job, and he was sort of you know struggling for work. 
Um, but one of his, his old friends, uh, Vin Sullivan, who was an editor for DC Comics, um, said, you know, why don't you come over and, you know, write a few stories, you know, for us, you know, we make a couple bucks, so on and so forth. And, uh, and he did so, and uh, I think immediately caught the bug. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, I was looking at uh, some of the credits that he has at DC, and it's just like a who's who of the Golden Age. He created, created, mind you, mm-hmm. the Golden Age Flash, uh-huh. the Golden Age Hawkman, Dr. Fate. As I already told you, he was the author of the first Justice Society tale. He created Sandman, who not Sandman Morpheus, you know, but uh, the Golden Age Sandman. Uh, Starman, who's a character that uh, you haven't met yet. I mean, just every possible title that you can think of from the Golden Age, you know, Gardner Fox had some involvement in. I think he actually even wrote some Batman stories. So he pretty much had his hands in everything. Yeah. And that's just the Golden Age. Um, you know, in the Silver Age, um, you know, certainly we had already talked about the fact that you know, he revitalized that Justice Society mm-hmm. concept. You know, uh, you know, he created the Justice League. Um, some of the characters we've already seen. The Atom, the Silver Age Atom, mm-hmm. that was his creation. Right. Uh, Hawkman, who we haven't seen. We've actually only seen the Golden Age Hawkman. Um, but he was responsible for revitalizing that concept and introducing a Silver Age version of that character. Mm-hmm. One of your favorites, I know, um, Batgirl. Yeah, I do like her. Yeah, he actually created Batgirl. I thought and you were going to say Black Canary. No, not Black Canary. <laughs> but uh, a character we haven't met yet, but who's going to be huge on this show, uh, Zatanna was actually his creation, too. Okay, good. So anyway, that's a little bit of background on Gardner Fox, you know, a writer who definitely sort of straddled the, the two ages, you know, uh, very important in the Golden Age, very important in the Silver Age, and as we learned last week, basically the architect of bridging the gap between the two. Mm-hmm. Now, the way in which that gap was bridged, though, uh, took on several different forms. Um, we talked last week how there were a few different flavors of, um, you know, Golden Age versus Silver Age characters. You know, we had the type that were the exact same person, like I'd said, mm-hmm. Superman and, and the Silver Age Superman, you know, basically the same, but with tiny little differences. Right. Um, characters of that type tended not to cross over too much. I think they thought it might be too confusing for kids. Like, you know, well, why is Golden Age Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman, like, you know, are exactly the same? Or like, you know, how can there be two Robins? So I think they kind of steered away from that, at least in the early days. Um, there was more of that in, in like the late 70s, early 80s. They started delving into that a bit more. In the early 60s, though, they tended to focus these crossovers on characters of the same namesake, but who were actually different people. Um, like we'd taken a look at uh, a couple of those stories from uh, from Flash, right, mm-hmm. with uh, Barry Allen and Jay Garrick. Some other things were happening in, like, Green Lantern. You know, you would have the Silver Age Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, and the Golden Age Green Lantern, Alan Scott, would show up in that title. Uh, the Atom, I think they did, um, you know, a couple stories. Hawkman, strangely, I don't think I remember there ever being a crossover between those two characters. Um, but like I say, you know, at least initially, that's where they would introduce a lot of these Golden Age folks. Um, so where did that leave the characters who didn't have counterparts? You know, that third type of character who were wholly unique, you know, people like Dr. Fade or Black Canary, you know, what was their venue for, you know, being introduced to this new audience? I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's why we had this show, so I can tell you. <laughs> um, tell me, tell me. Um, one of the things that DC had in the late 50s and throughout the 60s were a couple different titles that acted at basically as launching pads for new concepts. Um, 
The Brave and the Bold, for instance, was one of these titles um, that would float out concepts that weren't necessarily strong enough to maintain their own title, but they would do it to sort of gauge reader interest. And then, you know, if they wrote in and, and had that interest, then they would spin them off in their own titles. Um, like, for instance, you may not know this, but the Justice League themselves mm-hmm. actually debuted in Brave and the Bold. Oh. And then, yeah, and then one, <laughs> once, you know, the letters started flooding in, like, you know, they're like, oh, obviously this is a strong concept. Let's, you know, make, actually make a title called Justice League. Um... Another comic of this type that came out around the same time was a magazine called Showcase Comics. Uh, we've mentioned a couple times on the podcast, like where we got... Um, Flash and Green Lantern. Flash and Green Lantern, exactly. Um, some of the other things that came out of that would have been the uh, the Atom, um, mm-hmm. what we saw in that last Justice League story. He debuted in Showcase Comics as well. Um, some of the other things that appeared there, um, that we're probably not going to touch too much on this show, um, but are pretty famous, are things like Challengers of the Unknown, a uh, Jack Kirby creation. Uh, Lois Lane, Superman's girlfriend. Intrepid reporter. Yes, she uh, had a couple tryouts in Showcase Comics as well, and then she was spun out into her own title. Some things weren't so popular. Some of the early issues, they they tried to do series centered around like firefighters or like you know undersea frogmen, and of course <laughs> you know yeah, and they did they never got their own titles. But later on, and especially around the time that we're looking at, uh, one of the things that Showcase Comics did highlight uh, were some of these Golden Age characters. Um, there's going to be a character that we'll see in a couple episodes called the Spectre. Uh, I mentioned him, I think, in our first episode, sort of as I was doing a, a, an overview of characters you might be interested in. Um, he's going to get, in a couple years, some showcase tryouts. Uh, Black Canary, who you really liked from the last yes, story. Yeah. Um, she does a team-up with a character called Starman in Showcase Comics. But the first one of these, and the one that we're going to take a look at tonight, uh, centers around Dr. Fate and one of the other heroes we saw from that team-up, a character called Our Man. Sounds good. So this story would be from Showcase number 55 uh, from March of 1965, which is about uh, about a year and a half, I think, after the uh, the crossover that we took a look at. I, I think that was summer of 63. Um, there was another JSA crossover in that interim, uh, summer of 64, but we are not going to cover that, at least not now. Um, Dr. Fate did make an appearance in that, but it was really not so magic-focused. So, like I said, we might loop back to that, you know, years down the road or whatever, but as far as magic-centric, I think we'll give that one a miss. Okay. Um, And so, accordingly, this would have been the third appearance of Dr. Fate in the Silver Age. Um, It's a story called Solomon Grundy Goes on a Rampage. Was he part of the Super Friends? Solomon Grundy, yeah, the uh, you might remember the uh, the Legion of Doom, right? The big uh, yeah, 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 the helmet thing and coming out of the like, swamp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Solomon Grundy was one of the uh, characters that uh, Lex Luthor recruited. He's uh, a zombie. He's a zombie, right? Yeah, but he's actually uh, a Golden Age zombie. <laughs> he um, <laughs> he's a uh, an old foe of the Green Lantern, and uh, I'm pretty sure that he fought the entire JSA at one point. Um, but this would have been his reintroduction in the uh, in the Silver Age. Um, so yeah, so this story is from Showcase 55, uh, is written by Gardner Fox, as we said, uh, with pencils and inks by Murphy Anderson, who we haven't actually seen in the inside of a comic yet, but he's done a lot of the covers that we've seen for, uh, for the JLA. And then, uh, and then also, um, when we were doing the pre-code comparisons, uh, the Phantom Stranger, and then that one from Sensation Comics with the guy with the, with finger. the fingers. Yeah, yeah. That was Murphy Anderson as well. So this is going to be the first sort of inside art that we'll see from him. Um, he was a very famous artist at DC uh, for for quite a long time. I think he worked it for fifty years plus, and uh, wow. yeah, yeah, he sort of he really sort of bridged that uh, golden age to silver age thing as well. Um, they called on him for a lot of these revivals because his style 
sort of echoed uh, that in the Golden Age. It's a very, it's very refined style. Like when I think of the Silver Age, Murphy Anderson is definitely like probably my top five artists that I associate with that. Like you know, Carmine Infantino certainly, Kurt Swan. Um, but yeah, Murphy Anderson is right up there. And uh, and then as you'll see, his art's a little bit old fashioned, but definitely uh, very evocative of a time. So we begin with our cover, which is sort of in the middle of an action scene with our, our hulking Goliath of a zombie, Solomon Grundy, holding Dr. Fate, apparently uh, immobilized in a, in a green aura over his head as our man comes rushing in. And uh, we have it subtitled, Solomon Grundy goes on a rampage as Showcase presents the Super Team Supreme, Dr. Fate, and our man. And then in a tiny little uh, inset in the bottom, we see a special guest star, the original Green Lantern. So they mean Golden Age, I assume. Yeah, the Golden Age Green Lantern, exactly. And then all of this is uh, sort of a night scene, you know, a desolate swamp. In uh, It's purple. With a purple background, exactly. So we know this one's going to be a, a top seller. Uh-huh. Well, let's crack open the cover then and take a look at the opening splash page, uh, which is just sort of a stylized image. We see Solomon Grundy sort of reaching out toward the audience, you know, in menacing tones as he's flanked on either side by our heroes, uh, each with their, their own little caption, sort of giving their background for, for new readers. To the left, Dr. Fate. In a stone tower in which haunted Salem lives a man known to the world as Dr. Fate, master of the occult sciences. He moves where he wills, upon, below, and above the earth he's sworn to protect. And then off to the right, we have our man. Ever since his discovery of Miraclo, a pill that gives him supercharged powers for one hour, Tick-Tock Tyler has assumed the role of our man, Ally of the oppressed and scourge of gangland. Every time I see Miracle, it reminds me of Miracle Grow. <laughs> Miracle Grow, yeah. <laughs> uh, TikTok is just his, his nickname. He's actually Rex Tyler. And so, as I say, we sort of have these uh, these little vignettes, and all of this is you know set across a a purple background. Although, uh, why they would have that on the inside cover, right, yeah. I, I don't know. You, you've already you've already gotten their dime. <laughs> save some <laughs> of that. Save for, the purple. Yeah, save some of that for next month's cover. Um, so yeah, so we turn the page to uh, to the prologue, um, where we see uh, Solomon Grundy making his way through a murky swamp. Not real life, only a weird distortion of it. Solomon Grundy is said to have been created by the strange chemical reaction of sizzling sunlight beating down on a decayed vegetation of a soggy swampland. Impossible, said scientist. Well, maybe it was, but before long our criminal band followed a new chief, Solomon Grundy. Soon, too soon... An entire nation was trembling before the ominous onslaughts of a raging colossus of crime who couldn't be stopped by bullets. Finally trailed to a petrified forest by the indomitable Green Lantern, a truly titanic battle ensued. As we see a few flashback panels from uh, All-Star Comics number 33, the editor's note tells us, from uh, February of 1947. Uh, it's just sort of like gives the background of Solomon Grundy's last battle with Green Lantern. You hurt me, he says, as Green Lantern's hitting him with a, uh, a beam from his ring. Uh, Solomon Grundy is a uh, a man from Louisiana, so I'm going to do my best to do zombie bayou talk. Um, <laughs> and uh, so as he hits some Green Lanterns, thinking, that chase across the continent didn't help him any. My ray's weakening. And so uh, he catches him in, in a green globe as Solomon says, can't move, I'm caught. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and here today is that vision of terror still imprisoned in a bubble of emerald energy. As we see modern day Solomon Grundy still in the green bubble. Someday get out. Destroy enemy Green Lantern. Someday. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot kill me. Live forever. Must come time when I'm free. Then kill Green Lantern. And so Solomon Grundy goes on a rampage. Chapter 1. 
Out of the sky it comes, streaking earthward in a furious blast of flame and thunder, to crash and hurl skyward a spray of dirt and burning vegetation, as we see the green bubble crashing to, to the ground. There's an eerie silence. Is this a mysterious exploding object a meteor? A fallen satellite? A stray asteroid? Or some other visitor from outer space? But things from outer space do fall on Earth, yet this is totally unlike anything else that's ever landed on our planet. For from the wisping remnants of the shattered globe rises a creature with a hate-twisted face. Exiled into outer space by Green Lantern, Solomon Grundy has returned to the Earth that spawned him, as we see Solomon climbing from the, the wreckage of the shattered Green Lantern bubble. I will find him, and when I find him, I kill. It strides into a lake, proceeding forward, even as the waters close about its head, not breathing, not needing to breathe, until it comes to a high stone wall surrounding what used to be, long ago, the watery marshland known as Slaughter Swamp. Well, that's rather ominous. <laughs> well, yeah, well, this is where he was born, right? Slaughter Swamp is the, uh, yeah, is the area okay. where... Um, the man who Solomon Grundy used to be, uh, Cyrus Gold. I don't know if they're going to get into all that. Um, but yeah, but this is the swamp where he was created. And uh, so he comes to a wall and, Wall, no, stop me. I go back to birth waters. And he cracks through the wall. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the wall goes down before the giant strength of the eerie humanoid, revealing a glowing marshland into which Solomon Grundy hurls himself headlong. Far away, in the witch-haunted hills of Old Salem, stands a stone tower which emits a pulsing glow into the night, as we see a car driving up with a couple. Kent, look! The tower is giving off some sort of strange radiance. Not the tower, but the crystal ball inside it, honey. This hasn't happened in a long time. And so, archaeologist Kent Nelson and his lovely wife, the former Inza Kramer, hurry to the stone tower, which has no door. So how do they get in? Well, they walk through the wall. Apparently. apparently they walk through the wall. And as they do so, Kent turns to Inza and says, The crystal ball glows of its own accord only when some terrible evil walks the earth. Hurry, I must look into its depth. So to the topmost room, the couple hurries. Uh, but only Kent dares stare into that brilliant glow. Odd, I see the radioactive marshlands attached to Tyler Chemical Company. How can that be evil? I'll get your costume, dear. I know trouble when I see it. And so Inza goes to a cabinet and pulls out the costume of Dr. Fate. Well, there you go. In the very next moment, the Master of Magic, Dr. Fate, stands arrayed in uniform given to him by Naboo the Wise. And the editor's note says, For an explanation of the origin and powers of Dr. Fate, see the text page at the end of this story. Uh, unfortunately, though, I believe we're going to be skipping over that, uh, at least for this episode, and we'll delve into his origins at a, at a later date. Okay. Yeah. So, and so Dr. Fate now fully garbed, you know, with his helmet, and so accordingly, we're going to adopt that persona, says, uh, I'll direct the crystal ball to show me where the evil comes from to retrace its steps. So hurling himself upward from the tower and merging his atomic structure with the very wind, Dr. Fate quickly arrives at the impact point where the celestial globe struck the earth. Whatever it was that fell here is gone. By reassembling its atoms, I can reconstruct its original form. So, with the wisdom of the ancient Chaldeans, he gathers the atom of the dissipated bubble of force and reshapes them. By Ishtar! This was once a bubble of force created by my fellow Justice Society member Green Lantern. Hmm. All the more reason to hurry to the radioactive marshland pool. You know who you sound like. Who's that? Victor Newman. Victor <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, some miles away at the Tyler Chemical Company, the president of the company, Rex Tyler, is entering a vault known only to himself. Good thing I was working late tonight so I could be here when the alarm sounded. Some man or animal has blundered in, into the marsh where we empty the radioactive waste from our cyclotron. Well, that sounds safe. Yeah, dude, that's so irresponsible. <laughs> You're dumping waste into the swamp. Uh -huh. 
Um, so anyway, Rex enters into this safe, and there we see the uniform of Our Man. So moments later, he dons the uniform of the great crime fighter Our Man. I'll take a handful of Miracle pills with me, but we'll hold off swallowing one until I see what it was that broke into the radioactive marshes. I may need a full hour of super energy to cope with it. Let me see, editor's note. They look like jelly beans. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the editor's note is telling us to look at the end of the story for Our Man's origin, but again, we're going to skip over that as well. Um, so soon after, the man of the hour stands before the glowing waste of Slaughter Swamp and lifts out a Miraclope hill at the sight of Solomon Grundy. I've heard Green Lantern speak of that most bitter of all foes. Bitter of all foes. And how we put him away on a distant planet, presumably for all eternity. So swallowing a Miraclope hill, our man vaults into the air at the macabre man-thing. I must stop him, then tell Green Lantern. No tell Green Lantern! I tell him! I hate Green Lantern! But instead of attacking with upraised arms, Solomon Grundy swings his left arm upward ugh, and nails Our Man right in the breadbasket. It must be rusty, thinks Our Man, to let him booby-trap me with that right hand. But even as Our Man slams into a thick tree, from the sky above swoops the Wonder Wizard, as they're calling Dr. Fate, with bolts of lightning running from his fingertips. Solomon Grundy. I never fought against him, but I've heard the Justice Society members tell of their Homeric battle with him. And what Dr. Fate does is apparently infect the trees with a pseudo-life force, uh, directing it to the bellowing man-thing as the animated trees wrap around Solomon Grundy. So mad with rage, livid with the urge to rend and tear, Solomon Grundy reaches out and rips another tree from its earthbed. What enormous strength he has, thinks Dr. Fate, to fight off my magic-riddled trees and rip up another one. With that flail in his hands, the marshland monster sweeps the air above him, seeking to bat down his foe. I kill! No stop me, I kill! <laughs> Quickly, Dr. Fate diverts some of his magic to shred the tree club into powder. It's evident that Solomon Grundy, being only a pseudo-life form, is not as badly affected by my magic as a true human would be. So with a roar of defiance, the man-thing rips the tree from his body, even as the wonder wizard freezes the very air about him. They need to stop with the um, sobriquets, wonder wizard, and, and you know, marshland monster, and man-thing. It's just it's very distracting, I think. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Dr. Fate uh, hits Solomon Grundy with another blast of magic and uh, encloses him in a block of ice. But the Marshland Man thing, <laughs> I guess they're going for several different combinations, of, yeah. uh, 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 is no ordinary foe. The hate that surges through his body powers muscles that have no human equal. Incredible, thinks Dr. Fate as Solomon Grundy begins cracking the ice. I never thought anything could burst through the ice I formed around him. His incredible strength calls for... New ways to use my magic. So as the rending burst of cracking ice fills the night, a groggy hour man lifts his head. Dr. Fate, in danger! As Dr. Fate stands before Grundy, thinking, I'll deliberately let Grundy grab hold of me, and when he swings me up to hurl me down to the ground, dot dot dot. So Solomon Grundy does grab Dr. Fate, and once he has him in his hands, he thinks, Now that I'm in contact with him, I'll fill his body with electrical energy. So high up the man-thing swings his foe, while Dr. Fate lets a flood of crackling energy magic freeze the marshland monster motionless. Our man comes running up. Dr. Fate needs a helping hand. I've got to knock Grundy down with one well-timed blow. So even as Grundy stands helpless, electrocuted by the magic, our man rockets to the defense of his friend, unaware that by doing so, he will bring about their own defeat. For as he jets into action, the deadly magic suddenly seeps out of Solomon Grundy and back into the body of the Wonder Wizard. Thus, as Our Man slams home his energy-packed fist, he frees the Man-Thing from his spell. Our Man oh. punches him like gut and Solomon goes, I kill! What, what's happening to me? Thinks Our Man. My miracle power is fading away. But the hour isn't up. 
What's wrong? Story continued on the third page following. That looks just like the cover, but just on a different angle. Yeah, that's the uh, the shot that ends, even a purple background as well. <laughs> so we turn a couple pages to Solomon Grundy Goes on a Rampage, Chapter 2. And the, uh, the facing page has a nice full-page ad for more secret origins. There's a... Uh, Advertising a, an 80-page giant with the origin of the Justice League and Aquaman and Flash. It's, uh, Secret Origins used to be one of my favorites. There's all the stories of who they are and how they came to be. Aqua Baby! <laughs> yeah, Aqua Baby to Aquaman. And actually Super Baby to Superboy to Superman. It's a, it's a good one. So, anyway, uh, chapter two. So like an electrified log, Dr. Fate crashes into our man, the titanic force of their collision driving a wedge of insensibility into their brains as their muscles go limp and their bodies collapse into unconsciousness. Towering high above them is the man-thing from the marshes, filled with hate, his warped alien mind holding onto one thought. I hate! I kill! Says Grundy as he's pummeling Dr. Fate and our man into the swamp. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's actually two thoughts. <laughs> I hate, I kill? Yeah. yeah. So for a moment, Solomon Grundy stares down at the crumpled inert forms of his foes, but then he plods off into the night. Shuffling along the road, leading toward Gotham City, um, now, bear in mind, this is the Earth-2 Gotham City, so this is the uh, uh, base of the Green Lantern, his, his foe. Uh, his body glows with a weird brilliance which spreads to nearby objects made of wood. Uh-oh. That's right. This is, we remember what's uh, the Golden Age Green Lantern's weakness. It, it's wood. Exactly. So quivering with half-life, a glowing fence yanks free from the ground, holding it, and joins a glowing barrel in an eerie flight through the night air after the demonic man-thing. In an eerie dance macabre, dozens of wooden objects, all afflicted with radioactive part life given them by Solomon Grundy, trail him to Gotham City. I don't think radioactivity works that way. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think it makes wood float. It's not the radioactivity that you know. All right. But uh, so pocketing an axe handle, Solomon Grundy grips the doors of a local bank and I find, I'll make him come to me, I rob. He no like anyone who rob. So inside the bank, his fingers fasten onto the heavy vault door, and I'll bring him soon now. I'll take money. He comes stop me. Then I kill. So moments later, the pockets of his ragged, rotting garments stuffed with greenbacks, the man-thing lurches from the bank where the, his wooden slavers have been hovering. Boy, Gardner Fox is really just <laughs> busting out the, uh, the pros this time around. Yeah. Where is he? He'll be here soon, I think. So howling his fury to the stars... Come get me. Where you hide? I wait. I wait. Where are you? Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> and so through the night, uh, Green Lantern comes uh, answering his call. There he is. He come at last. It hardly seems possible, thinks Green Lantern. I left Solomon Grundy trapped on a cold, lifeless planet. How could he have escaped my globe of emerald energy? So from Green Lantern's power ring shoots a verdant beam of energy, and hitting the macabre man thing, it spreads and forms another bubble of force with which to contain him. There, that does it, thinks Green Lantern. Let, let's see Grundy escape from that. And then we have an editorial panel which reads, For those readers who may be puzzled at the unfamiliar costume of Green Lantern, be advised, this is the Green Lantern of Earth 2. In this other Earth, as contrasted to Earth 1, where Green Lantern is really test pilot Hal Jordan, the Emerald Crusader's civilian identity is that of Alan Scott, ex-radio announcer and now president of Gotham City Broadcasting Company. So we turn the page and see that even though Grundy is now contained within a green bubble, uh, he produces from his person a radioactive axe handle made of wood and slashes with it, denting and cracking his power ring prison. No, I'm not going to faraway planet again. I'll stay here and smash Green Lantern. Whew, he sure showed me, thinks Green Lantern. Oh, 
In the long years when he was imprisoned on that planet with plenty of time to think, he must have remembered our battles and realized that wood is my weakness and nemesis. Ah! says Grundy, throwing a uh, an axe handle at Green Lantern. The next moment, the Man-Thing waves his wooden soldiers to attack. Hit! Hit! Knock him down to me so I grab him! As we see rakes and barrels and chairs and doors all, all hurtling at Green Lantern. So quickly, the Emerald Crusader deflects the path of a distant cyclone to blow away those deadly objects. Some of those wooden objects are getting through to me, battering me, thinks Green Lantern. And so what he does is, with his power ring, fashions tongues of flame to leap up at these wooden weapons. I'll put out that fire and restore things to normal after I overcome that wooden barrage. But it appears to be too much, uh, because that army of wood increases so much so that the ending blows fell the Green Gladiator. I win! I win! shouts Grundy as Green Lantern comes tumbling out of the sky. At this critical moment, from the south of Gotham City, streaks Dr. Fate, fully recovered from his knockout blow. Grundy's grabbing Green Lantern. Fortunately, I was able to track him here by his radioactive footprints. So spotting the Wonder Wizard, the macabre man-thing... <sighs> I'm just going to start subbing out Dr. Fate and, and Grundy for these phrases. <laughs> so spotting Dr. Fate, Solomon <laughs> Grundy points, and instantly his wooden army regroups itself and... Kill! Kill! says Grundy. Wood's no nemesis of the Master of Magic, however. His body pours out occult powers, and under their eerie spell, I'll reshape the atoms of this wood to form a mighty weapon to use against that pseudo-life form. And so we see Dr. Fate hitting all the wood with a magic blast and basically turning it into a giant hammer. Meanwhile, our man has also been trailing Solomon Grundy as swiftly as he can. Almost two hours have passed since I took that miracle pill. In another few seconds, an hour having intervened after my hour of energy charge powers, I can take another. Oh yeah, I forgot that about Hour Man. He needs So he takes his pill, he gets an hour of power, and then he needs to wait an hour before he can take another one. So apparently the hours pass because even as he swallows a miracle pill, he sees the Swampland Scarecrow lift Dr. Fate's wooden mallet and swing it. I hope this helping hand I give Dr. Fate will turn out better than the last one. But as Dr. Fate swerves aside from the mallet, Tick-Tock Tyler sees his fellow superhero come straight for him. All of a sudden, I have a great compulsion to destroy our man, says Dr. Fate. And I must battle and overcome Dr. Fate at all costs, says our man. And the two of them leap toward each other in the night sky. End of chapter two. Uh, but chapter three begins on the very next page, as we see a full page spread of Dr. Fate and our man uh, leaping toward each other. The instant you touch that magical light curtain, our man, you doom yourself, as Dr. Fate is producing a sort of aurora borealis in, in the sky through which our man can't penetrate. I'll match my miracle of powers against your magic any time, Dr. Fate, says our man leaping toward the the, uh, the rainbow cloud. That's probably not a good idea, <laughs> our man. I don't think you're, you're going to defeat him. Um, <laughs> Solomon Grundy stands on the ground with the green lantern over his shoulder and simply says, Ah! <laughs> So confidently, the man of the hour springs into the shimmering drape of awesome enchantment. Ha! His body is stiffening, his mind reeling, thinks Dr. Fate. But even though our man sinks into unconsciousness, oh, he had so much momentum behind him it carried him th clear through my magical curtain, as uh, our man socks him right on the jaw. And so head over heels, the unconscious bodies of our man and Dr. Fate tumble to the ground, and the instant they thud to the earth, Solomon Grundy trudges off into the night, Green Lantern in hand. Solomon Grundy shuffles down the road towards Slaughter Swamp, um, but suddenly he's framed by a pair of brilliant headlights. For Pete's sakes, look there! It's our old pal, Solomon Grundy! Where you been all these years? A, uh, a carload full of gangsters. Um, so the man thing pauses, recognizing his gang of years before. 
He's got his arch enemy, Green Lantern. How about that? Says a, a gangster who looks startling like like Adolf Hitler, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> He's got a little like mustache and then sort of like, that stash anywhere. Yeah. Green Lantern put me in Dead Planet long time ago. Very cold, very dark there. Me not like, says Solomon Grundy. Then, long time later, big thing like shooting star pass high up, pull everything off planet. Not held down, I go too. As we see a little flashback as uh, Grundy and his green bubbles caught in the tail of a comet. Now me find Green Lantern, me get revenge, he says, floating through space. I ride through space, not need to breathe, feel cold but not freeze. Move green ball by holding sides, make it go where it may want. Oh my god, he's pretty smart for a uh, hulking zombie. So, took a long time, but at last I steer at home. As we see his, uh, his green bubble coming down toward Earth. So, as Grundy finishes his tale, and then urged on by his eager friends, uh, he agrees to help them pull another job, you know, for old times' sake. boy, Solomon, we'll take over now, they say as uh, Solomon rips the, the gate off a, a, a closed jewelry store. Man, what a haul! But meanwhile, back at the scene of the previous battle, as we see uh, Dr. Fate and Our Man coming back to, uh, to consciousness, Whew! What came over us? says Our Man. For a while there, I felt you were my enemy. Same here, says Dr. Fate. But I believe I'm beginning to understand when my hate for you began when you swallowed that miracle pill. Something about your miracle affects my magic, just as my magic has an adverse influence on you when you go into action near me. First it weakened us so Solomon Grundy could throw off your magical electricity and hurl you at me, says our man. Then it made us fight one another. Perhaps the radioactivity of Solomon Grundy's body has something to do with it. And Dr. Fate must agree because merging his body atoms, his body atoms, <laughs> with the wind, <laughs> he creates his magic. The Wonder Wizard rockets into the air as the man of the hour is drawn up after him. I'll create a non-gravitic pathway in the air behind me so you can ride along, drawn after me by the speed of my flying. Since we have to be reasonably close to have my miracle affect your magic, Our Man shouts up, I'll make sure to keep my distance. Dr. Fate, look below you, Our Man shouts as he looks down and sees the, the, the mobsters robbing the jewelry store. Crooks, robbing that jewelry store. I'm going down to stop them while you go ahead after Solomon Grundy. I'll join you later, says Our Man as he jumps out of the, uh, the non-gravitic pathway. So Our Man drops from the sky like an avenging comet and uh, thuds the two mobsters right in the back with his feet. And then like a cat, he drops to his feet and then lashes out with a supercharged fist, zocking this fellow in the chin. That's a st I don't think that's the sound a, a punch makes. <laughs> but uh... Are you taking note of these uh, timestamps? Oh yeah, that's Our Man's power, right? You know, it's keeping track of how long he's got you know, in, in his little pill. So. so continuing the fight, a gun blast in the night, but before the bullet can reach him, Our Man leaps above it and comes down hard on this another mobster like a living bomb. Where they, where they clunk. <laughs> I think I would have gone with a boom there. A boom? Yeah. Mm, so, wrap that up in less than a minute. I'll turn them over to the police, then rejoin Dr. Fate, says our man. But far ahead of him, the Master of Magic is swooping low over Slaughter Swamp, keen eyes scanning its radioactive waters. No sign of Solomon Grundy, yet his radioactive footprints shows he came here. Suddenly, the waters part as the macabre man-thing rises upward to come to grips with his tormentor. He says, coining a phrase. Ah, there you are, says Dr. Fate. You not only have to deal with me, Grundy, but also Green Lantern. The stunned eyes of the Swampland Scarecrow turn toward the edge of the marshland where... Green Lantern? No, you in Swamp. Me put you there. Make you just like me to help fight enemies. That, that not you. But we do see Green Lantern standing there. But Dr. Fate thinks, 
I figured that magical Green Lantern I created would make him blurt out the whereabouts of the real Green Lantern. So that's just a magical construct. Nice. Right. So despite his claim to have imprisoned the Emerald Gladiator, the sight of his longtime foe maddens Solomon Grundy. I'll take you back in the water. I'll make you man-thing like me, he says, trying to grab the, uh, the magic Green Lantern. So the Marshland monster discovers that the magical Green Lantern has an eerie strength all his own. His Green Lantern sucks him in the gut. You hit hard, but I knock you out. You wait, you see. So let's turn our gaze to one side as Dr. Fate has cast an ancient spell, lifting the glowing waters of Slaughter Swamp upward into the air, revealing a monstrous Green Lantern as we see... Uh, what? Yeah, we see what looks like to be Solomon Grundy, but wearing a Golden Age Green Lantern costume. A monstrous Green Lantern, thinks Dr. Fate. Solomon Grundy brought him here to these radioactive waters to turn him into a pseudo-life form like himself. And so shambling forward, the transformed Green Lantern hurls himself straight at Dr. Fate. He doesn't know who he is or who I am. He's completely under the spell of the radioactive swamplands. As uh, this hulking creature comes toward him. A beam of the power ring forms a great mace that plummets down toward the mystical mage. I kill, says uh, Solomon Green Lantern. <laughs> <laughs> so with his left hand, Dr. Fate catches and holds the mace as his right hand hurls tiny suns at his fellow Justice Society member. You have great powers, Green Lantern, but so have I, and my brain is keen and alert, while yours is possessed with only the desire to destroy. And we see Dr. Fate creating a, a magical hand to, to capture the, uh, the mace created by Solomon Grundy Green Lantern's <laughs> ring. Um, so the miniature suns beating down upon the Green Lantern with their mystic powers, he rides and twists to escape the magical rays that bathe his body. But suddenly, a startling change comes over the Emerald Crusader. His monstrous features disappear, his torn and riddled clothes firm back to normal, until in exhaustion in his ordeal, he drops to his knees. As we see uh, the sort of grundyization fading away and Green Lantern assuming his, his normal form. With a bellow of rage, Solomon Grundy turns from the magical Green Lantern toward the real one and sees Dr. Fate standing in his path. You do this! You trick me! I get you! The Solomon Grundy rushing toward Dr. Fate. But Dr. Fate's in control. His magic has never been stronger as he hurls a sorcerer's battering ram at his eerie foe with a hui <laughs> Sound effects or something else. So out of the night races Our Man, eager to be in at the finish. boy, Dr. Fate, says Our Man rushing in. You knocked him within range of my fists. Hold him off with your magic while I give him a dose of super energy. It's your turn now, says Our Man, socking Solomon Grundy into the swamp. And so as the macabre man-thing hurtles back toward Dr. Fate, uh, he t whips him around and around until, coming right back at you, our man, it's like a tag-team wrestling match. As long as we work in turns, we can each use our superpowers. Upward into the air jets our man, high above the swampland scarecrow. Reversing direction in midair, he powers a pulverizing blow down on Solomon Grundy. And then as Dr. Fate continues the onslaught, a revitalized Green Lantern moves in. Let me help you out, fellas. You must know by now that you, nothing can knock Grundy out because of his strange life form. We must do something else. What have you got in mind, Green Lantern? Says Dr. Fate as he's uh, trying to hold Solomon Grundy immobile with a couple blasts of magic. Ah! Says Grundy in the background. <laughs> to imprison him in a modified force bubble, says Green Lantern. The one I created years ago was weakened over the years because of the long trip through space and its fiery fall through Earth's atmosphere, so that it cracked open and dissipated when it landed. I understand. I'll add my magic to the energy of your power ring, says Dr. Fate. Exactly. And together, we'll create a globe, half energy and half magic, that will last till the end of time. So, 
from magical fingertips and power ring pour dual energy, creating a massive ball of alternating bands of magic and matter. That ought to hold him, says Dr. Fate. And if it doesn't, I can't imagine what will, says Green Lantern, as they're both pouring their respective energies into the sort of, you know, green and yellow striped ball. So from below, our man lifts his fist in a magnificent uppercut, driving Solomon Grundy upward toward the magical prison prepared for him. So awesome is that blow that within moments, we see Solomon Grundy locked inside the globe. Now what do we do with Solomon Grundy, says Dr. Fate? With our combined powers, we'll put him in eternal orbit around the Earth, says Green Lantern. That way we can maintain a 24-hour vigilance on him. So upward and outward into an orbit around the planet goes the macabre man thing, endlessly circling the world that spawned him. My crystal ball and your power ring will glow in a unique way if Solomon Grundy ever escapes that prison, says Dr. Fate. Personally, I don't think he'll ever bother us again, says our man. I wonder, says Green Lantern. I'm sure that's the a hint. end, yeah. I think uh, Rex TikTok Tyler is uh, putting a little too much faith in the powers of his teammates. Um, so yeah, so that uh, that's the first tale in the uh, uh, resurgence of Dr. Fate and our man. Uh, they will be back in the very next issue of Showcase for, uh, I don't know, necessarily a part two, but uh, another team, team up. Um, but that story is going to wait until our next episode, uh, because right now uh, we're going to take a look backward at the very beginning of Dr. Fate. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, he's a Golden Age character. Um, it goes all the way back to May of 1940, uh, where he debuted in um, a title we've mentioned before, More Fun Comics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's where we said that the, uh, the old Siegel and Schuster character, uh, Dr. Occult, appeared. Um, well, there was actually another Jerry Siegel uh, supernatural character named Spectre, um, who we'll address you know, in, in a couple episodes, uh, who began appearing in More Fun a couple issues prior to this. And although I don't know this for certain, I would suspect that the popularity of that character sort of spawned Dr. Fate as well. You know, there's sort of a sort of popularity, you know, for that otherworldly supernatural type character. You know, they, they probably um, were soliciting a, a, another one in, in that same vein. Um, as I mentioned before, Gardner Fox, you know, really a sort of wide red fellow. So he's pulling from a lot of different sources in, in the creation of this character, you know, um, going back to, uh, you know, his studies in, in mythology, um, you know, you might notice from the uh, the stylized helmet that Dr. Fate wears, it's almost inspired by those sort of like full-faced, you know, Greek war helmet type things that they would wear. Um, kind of reminded me of like medieval jousting. Medieval jousting, okay, yeah. I think it's more sort of classically designed type thing. And, um, and then, as we'll see in these stories, you know, really also sort of influenced by a lot of uh, horror fiction of the time as well. Like a lot of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft type elements, you know, are, are present in these uh, these Doctor Fate stories. Um, one little interesting piece of trivia: I was looking at the uh, the introduction to this volume that we're going to take a look at tonight, and uh, it was written by uh, Roy Thomas, uh, who you might remember as uh, one of the letter writers from those JLA columns. And I mentioned, uh, you know, he later would go on to be a, a pretty famous writer for both uh, Marvel and DC. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, he was saying that uh, he too had corresponded with uh, Gardner Fox for a time, and uh, apparently, according to Gardner's records, his original name for Dr. Fate was actually Dr. Droom. <laughs> like, not even Dr. Doom. It was like, this is a D R O O M. And, uh, you know, for one reason or another, he speculated it might have been at the, uh, the insistence of his editor, Whitney Ellsworth. You know, it was changed to, you know, something a little more tangible than just a nonsense sure. syllable. So, yeah, so, so fate. <laughs> so, who knows? I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, it's much better. Yeah. So, anyway, 
We're going to look at the first two Dr. Fate stories, uh, one from More Fun, uh, number 55, and, uh, and the second from More Fun, 56. Um, these early stories aren't titled per se, you know, um, back in the Golden Age, it would just sort of like plaster the, uh, the lead character's name up there. Uh, retroactively, um, they've been named for reader convenience. Uh, the first one is The, the Menace of Wotan. And then the uh, the follow up is the search for Wotan. Why are you laughing? Like Wu Tan Clan? No, 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 no. <laughs> actually, no, no. Wotan is actually a a variation on the uh, uh, Norse god Odin. Um, sort of a, a Teutonic version oh. of that is, is Wotan, although he's not cast in, in that type of light. He's actually a sort of demonic character. Um, oh. But yeah, but we'll see all that. The art in these stories is by a fellow uh, by the name of Howard Sherman. Who, um, Have we seen his work? Before? No, no. He's, he's a golden age artist and uh, and very much an artist of his time. Some of the uh, uh, stylized elements you'll see in this are, are really indicative of uh, of golden age sensibilities. Uh, a little bit of stiffness in the anatomy, um, but at the same time, a, a nice interplay of light and shadow. You know, uh, we'll take a look at these, and, and you'll see what I'm talking about once you see it. You say, "Oh yeah, that really looks like something from like you know the, the 1920s or you know 1930s or whatever." But um, it's very much an emulated style uh, of that time. And and we talked before Murphy Anderson, um, probably a very good artist to be selected for the resurgence of Doctor Fate in the Silver Age because Murphy Anderson embodies some of those same qualities. You know that that were present in this. Um, so yeah, so let's go ahead and then take a look and, uh, you know, we'll see what you, what you think. All right. Oh, and for the benefit of our listeners, I probably should mention that we are reading these out of the, uh, the Golden Age Dr. Fate archive, um, basically all the Dr. Fate stories from More Fun, uh, collected in, in one volume. Um, so we turn to our first story and, uh, and like I say, you know, an untitled story, just a sort of, uh, logo splashed across the top, um, reading Dr. Fate. As we see a uh, group of individuals kneeling at an altar of, uh, you know, what appears to be some sort of ancient god. And our narration begins, The wisdom of the ancients, secret sources of hidden power lost to more mechanically trained civilization of today. The art of the Chaldees, students of black magic, what defense would mankind have today against these lost sciences? As we see a very creepy, demonic, like blue-green skinned man uh, turn to the fellow to his side and say, are the plans made? Everything is prepared, Wotan, replies the man. The girl will be dead within the hour. Uh-oh. Good. When the girl dies, then Dr. Fate will be at my mercy. And when he dies, I, Wotan, shall rule the world. I don't like Wotan yeah. already. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a baddie. Um, so meanwhile, at a small boarding house uptown, Boy, I'm tired, says some fellow. A good night's sleep won't do me any harm. As the man enters the room, his eyes are arrested by a strange sight. You see a sort of jeweled globe. Why, how did that globe get there? It makes me mighty tired. I, I, I'm being hypnotized. I can't give in. I, I... I'm a bad actor. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a voice speaking to him from afar. Go to the North Road at once. You will see a girl there in apartment 2X. Choke her to death, then forget what you did. I hear and I shall obey, he my says. <laughs> so, acting in his trance, the man hails a taxi. North Road, quickly, he says to the uh, approaching cab, and he speeds directly to North Road. This must be the apartment, says the hypnotized man. I must ring the bell, then kill the girl. And so, apparently, he does as the door opens. Yes? What? Oh, says the girl. I have been sent to kill you. I am to kill you. I have promised. No, no, Dr. Fate! The girl cries. As into the middle of the room floats a coal-black cloud. 
You call, Linza? I, Dr. Fate, have heard you, and I appear, says the cloud, apparently, to the terror of the hypnotized man. But far away, the presence of Dr. Fate is suspected by Wotan. Fate is here, here in America. I must do something, something to destroy him. So he goes to his uh, little conjuration pot. <laughs> I shall burn the building and all life within it, and so destroy Dr. Fate forever, says Wotan, casting some sort of spell. And apparently that spell is the alchemy of the ancients, as suddenly uh, the apartment bursts into flame. Fire! The building burns, says the woman. Where am I? says the hypnotized man, suddenly unhypnotized. Inza, to me, says the black cloud. And for a brief moment the cloud floats away, and we see Dr. Fate. Inza, hurry, and you, Thomas Frawley, sent by Wotan, forget all you know of this night's work. I, Dr. Fate, so order you. I'll be burned alive, says the man, roasted to death, save me too. I throw the mantle of my projection over to you, says Dr. Fate, uh, wrapping his cape around him. Thomas Frawley knows one moment of intense bitter cold, and the next he stands unharmed on the sidewalk. I, I'm safe, but Dr. Fate is gone. But who is this Dr. Fate? As our narration kicks in. Who is Dr. Fate? Student of ancient <laughs> mysteries that were partially destroyed when Caesar burned Alexandria's library. Delver into the unknown science of occult and the weird. Alchemist and physicist extraordinary. Dr. Fate has learned the ultimate secret of the universe. The true conversion of energy into matter and matter into energy. Uh -huh. Right, as our newsreel ends and, uh, <laughs> and Dr. Fate is, is explaining to Inza. You located Wotan for me, Inza, but you always forget his powers. Always you should guard against him. He must have found you and known that I was near. Remember that energy is the secret of it all. Look as Dr. Fate demonstrates some of his mighty powers. I draw on the unlimited energy stored in my body and direct it at that vase. As he, uh, as he points at a vase and it bursts into flame. It's dust, says Inza. You turn the vase into dust. I merely release the energy atoms comprising that vase, changing them to atoms of dust as easily as I could destroy a human body, a train, an entire building. Yes, yes, you're very impressive, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Fate. <laughs> Come, we must pay a visit to Wotan. He will be engaged in some interesting deviltry at this time, and we must stop it. In another moment, your energy atoms will merge into ether, and you can travel as I do, as wind itself. Sometimes you frighten me, Dr. Fate. You are so awesome, Inza oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> says. <laughs> You're rad. <laughs> so, You're rad. <laughs> yeah. so. It doesn't say that anybody. Yeah. <laughs> so the wind whistles slightly shriller, somewhat colder, as Dr. Fate is passing by, as we see folks on the street, um, you know, holding onto their hats and the leaves blowing around. Meanwhile, Wotan studies an ancient tome of black magic. I must find a way to overpower Dr. Fate. What's that? Dr. Fate appears before Wotan. I am here, Wotan. You tried to kill Inza and failed. Fate, you die now! After that... So a huge panel in the wall opens behind Dr. Fate, and... Gorillas! They look really freaked out. <laughs> yeah. So Dr. Fate suddenly senses their presence. Look out, Inza! As the gorillas are closing in on her. You choose an elementary means of killing me, Wotan, says Dr. Fate. Help! cries Inza as the gorilla grabs her. With a great effort, Dr. Fate transfers the tremendous energy of his body to Inza. I give you my strength, says Dr. Fate, uh, reaching out toward her in um, birth of Adam fashion. <laughs> What's that, that painting called where the god, god's descending on him? Oh, <laughs> uh, I can't remember the title. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, the Michelangelo about. thing from the Sistine Chapel. 
But anyway, you know, uh, boosted by Dr. Fate's power, you know, Inza smacks the gorilla off to the side. And, and Wotan, realizing that Dr. Fate is in a weakened condition, takes advantage of the situation. Also elementary, but effective, says Wotan, pulling out a dagger. Um, but Dr. Fate has a great reserve force, which he calls upon now. Stop, he commands Wotan. <laughs> so tentacles of flame reach out to bite into Wotan's throat. Aye, aye, says Wotan as the, the flames wrap around him like a pair of choking hands. Um, Tell me first why you want to kill me, says Dr. Fate. I, too, have studied the mysteries of the past fate. You are the only man I acknowledge as my equal, even perhaps my superior. If you die, the clumsy, ignorant moderns would be my slaves. And so Wotan hurls his own energy force at Inza. I, too, know the secret of eternal energy, Dr. Fate. If you would not lose Inza the Beautiful, listen to me. You have me checkmated, says Dr. Fate. Your source of energy and mine are the same. Neither can kill the other except by surprise. But Inza... She will die. She will not die if you listen to reason, Dr. Fate. You will go away and leave Inza with me as hostage. Fate, Fate, save me, says Inza, wrapped in the you know, mystical flame. But Dr. Fate leaps on Wotan, breaking his spell over Inza. <laughs> as, he, as he socks <laughs> Wotan with a sound effect that indeed says, sock. <laughs> Sometimes I think a good fight accomplishes more than all the learning in the world, says Dr. Fate. See what new experience death will bring you, Wotan. Goodbye, as he lifts Wotan over his head toward the window and tosses him out. So ends so Wotan. Wotan can't fly. <laughs> yeah. And so as Wotan plummets away, Inza says, You saved me, but how? If he used your energy source, the body. I caught him off guard, broke the spell of that energy, and he was a mortal man again. Do you think that Wotan died? says Inza. Perhaps, and perhaps not. I'm going now to find out. What does Dr. Fate mean, says the newsreel. <laughs> Where is he going? Follow the weird adventures of Dr. Fate in next month's More Fun Comics. What do they mean, do you think he died? Look out the window. Like, is he dead on the sidewalk? Well, no, because they, they've said that they can't kill one another. Right, but I mean, like, where is he now? Like, you know, like, did he disappear when they threw him out? <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so let's continue on then. Like I said, these are pretty short stories to... Uh, more Fun 56, uh, from June of 1940, the first appearance of Dr. Fate on a cover. And uh, it would appear that Wotan did not, in fact, die, uh, because there he is on the cover as well, holding Inza hostage as he's shooting flames at Dr. Fate, as they're both standing in front of that, uh, that altar we saw in the first story. So let's open the page to this story, as the uh, narration picks up, apparently, directly from our last one. Having thrown Wotan the wizard from a tall building, apparently to his death, Dr. Fate tells Inza, his beautiful accomplice, that he must search in the dark regions for Wotan's soul to prove he really is dead. As we see Dr. Fate and, and Inza in some sort of netherworld. Are you willing to face those gods of Eld, the fiery Baal, cruel Moloch, to save the world from Wotan? With you, I dare anything, Dr. Fate, says Inza. Like a black cloud, fate passes from the world of men. Looks like rain, says a bystander below. A terrific storm is blowing up another woman. Now look, it's blown over. It's gone. What could it have been? A smudge from a steel factory chimney? I wonder where it's bound for, the crowd murmurs. Dr. Fate is bound for the region of the sticks. We see uh, Dr. Fate and Inza in a very sort of stereotypical uh, underworld. We stand among the dead, and here comes the boatman of the sticks. We see uh, Karen, the uh, Greek boatman, punting up. You two are living people. 
Only the dead may enter here, <laughs> says the uh, ferryman. I am fate. I go where I will. Open your boat to me. Let me too come, or I cremate you and your crew. Enter the boat, Dr. Fate, who can go anywhere he will. And so off to the regions of the dead they go as Dr. Fate and Inza climb into Karen's boat. Soon, the wanderers stand before the Gate of Iron. This is the first of seven gates to the region of dead souls. I know, says Inza. They are iron, copper, silver, gold, the unknown gray metal, alabaster. And before long, they're at the seventh gate, which is the Emerald Portal. This is the gate of purest emerald. Beyond it, we meet the gods of old. I'm frightened, Dr. Fate. But uh, nevertheless, they pass through the Emerald Gate and stand before the Stair of Judgment. At the top is Wisdom, who rules the world. We... Do, do we go up that staircase? asks Inza. Onward and onward, into the blinding light, in search for an evil Wotan in the dead world, Inza and Dr. Fate climb the stairwell. Whence come ye? What seek ye? says the, uh, the light at the top of the stairwell, which uh, apparently is wisdom. We search for the dead soul of a man. Have you seen it, ruler of the dead? You speak of Wotan. He is not here, but I shall show you him. Look. We hear, we look, says Dr. Fate, to the light. Wotan alive, as they see a, a vision of Wotan in, in the light. So Dr. Fate hurries away to find him. The fate of the world depends on you who are called fate. Wotan must be stopped, calls wisdom after them. <laughs> <laughs> so so back along the rocky path they came, go fate and Inza. Faster, faster, says Dr. Fate as he whisks Inza along. Well, if she had worn sensible shoes, maybe she could go faster. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> The upper world again, says Inza. How warm and jolly after those cold underworld regions. <laughs> I don't know where we are, but we were dropped here for a reason, says Fate. Suddenly an earthquake hits. The ground shaking. Earthquake. Oh, says Inza. No, no, this is no earthquake. This is Wotan's doing, says Dr. Fate. Wotan has stumbled on some vast secret of nature. How to increase the electric and magnetic flows between the poles. I'll bathe the ground with energy. What does it mean about the poles, says Inza. Wotan, by increasing the electrical flow, can explode the earth, just as an extra load on an electrical wire blows a fuse. That madman will blow the earth to smithereens. I must find and stop him. It seems odd to hear Dr. Fate say the word smithereens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but meanwhile, we see uh, Wotan in his little laboratory. I shall put my experiment to the test before I actually blow up the world. He's got a little model globe. I never understood that one. Like, who wants to blow up the world? Where would you live? Yeah, well, he's an evil demon. He's going to live in another world, I, I would imagine. These rods represent the poles of the earth. I shall increase the current along their arcs tremendously. When I pull this lever, the globe will explode under too much pressure. And he pulls the lever, and indeed, the globe explodes, <laughs> says the, the caption. The demented scientist, indeed, tends to blow up the earth, even as he did the globe. Thus ends the earth, says Wotan, gloating over the fragments of his globe. Meanwhile, Dr. Fate searches even the mountain peaks for Wotan. I must commune with elder intellects to learn where Wotan is. Magically, a great eagle appears to Dr. Fate. Follow me, Dr. Fate, oh says the eagle. <laughs> I don't know, what's an eagle sound like? Apparently, just like that. <laughs> Ahead of you is the home of Wotan. You must destroy him. He has gone mad. What's <laughs> <laughs> an eagle sound like, right? Sure. <laughs> so, anyway, in an ex in a secluded house, Wotan prepares his great experiment. 
I shall be revenged on Dr. Fate. I shall increase the magnetic force between the poles, and the entire earth shall blow up under the strain. Thus Dr. Fate shall die. The world shall be no more, destroyed by me, Wotan the Wonderful. Wow. <laughs> you might be wonderful, dude, but Dr. Fate's awesome. <laughs> so, Fate takes to the air in his search. Look there, that house, the green light coming from it. As uh, Fate and Inza swoop down on Wotan's home. I'll blast his house from over his head. Then come to grips with him at last. What? My house! It's Dr. Fate! Says Wotan as uh, Fate set the walls on fire. It is I, Wotan. I've come to demand at last an accounting from you. No, no, you can't stop me now! Shouts Wotan, heading toward the lever. The mad genius Wotan is about to blow up the world. For years you've stopped me in my pursuits of evil, always balking me. Now I win and destroy the world and you. No, no! Shouts Inza in like... As women of that era do. Yeah, and she leaps towards Wotan to try to stop him. But Wotan pulls the lever. I win! The earth blows up! But nothing happened. But maybe we're dead, says Inza. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Inza. <laughs> nothing happened, Wotan, because I bathed your machinery with energy from my body. <laughs> all right, all right. While you are raging about your vengeance. You tried an experiment this afternoon on a, on a bit of ground where Inza and I stood. I, too, experimented with my source of power and found I could control yours. I've wanted to manhandle you for a long time. Uh, sock! <laughs> right? <laughs> Dr. Fade busts out the sock right on the Wotan's chin. Look at the look on Wotan's face. He's like, oh! <laughs> so, and Fate hits him again. This is for the world you would have tossed into space to satisfy your vanity. And hits him with another punch. I must chain Wotan to the earth as Prometheus was chained to a rock. Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wotan, in a magical trance, is encased for eternity in an air bubble and hidden beneath the earth he would have destroyed. I'm sure and, that's safe. He'll probably stay there forever. Yes, no doubt. <laughs> um, but meanwhile, above ground, oh, smell that air, how good it is, says uh, Inza. And Wotan would have destroyed all this beauty just to gain revenge and satisfy his pride. Thus, let him rest for all time to come, unable to harm a fly. Don't miss the further adventures of Dr. Fate in next month's More Fun Comics. Whew. So. <laughs> Take a breather here for a second. <laughs> so. So yeah, so that is the uh, the introduction of Dr. Fate. Um, like I say, you know, Golden Age sensibilities a little more... A little more innocent, but at the same time, also a little bit more uh, informed by some classical literature, right? We saw, uh, you know, Dr. Fate referring to, to Baal, to Moloch, you know. Uh, we saw the uh, sort of Greek mythology, River Styx type stuff, you mm -hmm. know, really yeah. sort of, uh, you know, Gardner Fox pulling more out. More educated. Yeah, yeah. He's pulling out some of the uh, the references from his, his own attic. reading. Yeah, his 2,000 <laughs> books. So... All right, so we have uh, we've reached the end of our uh, you know first of two spotlights on Doctor Fate. Uh, next episode, we're going to look at two more Golden Age tales, and then I say return to Showcase Comics for the uh, for the second team up with uh, Our Man. Um, but for now, I'm going to turn the floor over to you, acting as the Parliament, and uh, and pass judgment on tonight's tales. And I'll leave it to you whether you want to consider these to be three stories. Certainly, the Our Man Doctor Fate story, one and the same. Uh, the Wotan one, you can consider it to be two, or maybe, you know, two parts of a two-parter, um, you know, the meeting and defeat of Wotan. Your, your choice. Lady's choice. <laughs> Thank you. So, the jury has deliberated. All right. Um, 
So the first one, the Solomon Grundy going on a rampage. Mm-hmm. Um, so in short, that that little birdie is gonna die. Aww. Yeah, I, I was not a big fan of that, which was kind of weird because when I was a, a kid and I was watching, you know, these as uh, cartoons, I, I definitely remember Solomon Grundy, and I remember he actually kind of scared me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> You laugh. <laughs> what? Like, like like hulking type thing or like Frankenstein? It was something about or... his eyes. Yeah, they're kind of like those sunken, like dark circle eyes. Yeah, and he was just, he was a big guy. But like, yeah, this time I was just kind of listening to the story and I'm like, he's just dumb. And <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't really like it. Um, I was also not really impressed with, um, with Our Man this time. But I did think that Dr. Fate and Green Lantern may have been like the... The, the power couple. Mm, yeah, that was a pretty good, pretty good team. More so than Our Man, you're right. I mean, Our Man's just kind of a punch him up type guy, right? You know, he doesn't it seem like a weird team of him and Doctor Fate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I did. I, I actually kind of liked his nickname, though, the TikTok. Mm. That was fun. <laughs> um, now I was wondering, Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. So is like is is there like any kind of okay? Well, I mean, so we'll get into this deeper when we get to Swamp Thing, but uh, yeah, all these all these people, Solomon Grundy, Swamp Thing um, from Marvel. There's a character actually called Man Thing. All these characters uh, are you know the sort of muck creature. I think is the overall uh, term for them. Um, but there's an earlier precedent for all of them. There's a uh, an old sci-fi writer named uh, Theos, Theodore Sturgeon. I think his name is. Who wrote a um, a book called It, which is the sort of prototypical swamp creature? So yeah, your observation you're saying is Solomon Grundy sort of like Swamp Thing, mm-hmm. absolutely. But then both of them are sort of like It. Oh, okay. Yeah. So It came first, then. Yeah. Okay. I've not heard of It. <laughs> <laughs> um, so overall, I was just uh, generally unimpressed with the story. Yeah, it was more. It was really more of a punch him up. You know, like that particular story. Like I, I remember that as a kid because. Um, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode uh, the title Brave and the Bold. Um, when that got into some of the higher numbers, like in the 70s, they converted that to a 100-page a book. And what they would do was have like one lead feature and then a bunch of backups, which were all reprints, you know, from the Golden Age, Silver Age, so on and so forth. And I remember that story being one of the reprints. And as a kid, I remember being really impressed with it. But then rereading it just now, yeah. you're right. Absolutely. It's nothing but just like one fight scene to another. The The only thing I, I dug on it was, the, yeah, like you say, that end where Dr. Fate and Green Lantern get together and make that bubble. That was kind of a neat visual. So maybe it's uh, just different perspective, you know, like child versus adult perspective. Yeah. Kids want the, the more action, whereas adult want a little more substance. Yeah. Yeah. How about some story? Yeah. So speaking <laughs> of story then, um, what about the Golden Age stuff? Good. Um, I, I liked both of them. Um, and, and perhaps that has something to do with your reading them. <laughs> <laughs> I like your voices. My, even my eagle. <laughs> even the eagle. <laughs> or crow or whatever. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I mean, like, everything was like, uh, just completely over the top there. And yet, I think, kind of similar to Mark Merlin, it just kind of worked, you know, like, it it was just uh, really over the top, especially like, in that that one panel in particular, where like, Inz is like, you know, slapping the monkey. (laughs) (laughs) So to speak. Is that where Dr. Fade bathed the machine in his body's energy? <laughs> no, <right>. no, no. <laughs> no, I mean, they were just, um, they were just fun stories. They were completely engaging. And, 
Yeah, I like them. What do you think about the art? Um, did you see what I was saying? How basically there's a, a definitely a golden age style that you know, even though you hadn't seen this particular artist before, you know, it's very very similar to other things of that time. Yeah, there's uh, it's got like really clear lines to it. It's uh, I think that sensibility is uh, is actually a good word. I don't think you intended that though. Um, but there's just something um, I think stiff about it. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It is stiff. But at the same time, it also definitely like creates a, a, a different sort of mood, too. You know, it's almost like somber or something, you know? It's like, it seems like more, yeah, like more serious somehow. Yeah. I don't know. And maybe that's just a reflection of uh, how things were at the time. Yeah, it could be, you know, coming out of like the Depression or whatever. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> like, you know, but... Uh, um... And also the colors are really vibrant. Yeah, well, so... Yeah, golden age coloring, I think, is, is less refined than it would be later. I think some of the uh, um, printing styles didn't allow for a lot of uh, divergent colors, so they always use like blocks of red and blocks of blue. Oh, as so they didn't to, have like, the processes. They didn't have the processes, but yeah, but I mean, it does lend itself to a very stark effect. So, you know, maybe that's a, an unintended effect that, that lends itself, like I say, to that, you know, more more serious styling. Mm -hmm. Yep, could be. Um, so, so what was your judgment on the uh, story? And once again, now, are you looking at these as two separate stories or are you sort of just a singular? No, I, I think uh, both the same, although uh, the, the first one was uh, was more fun, the second one not quite as fun. Well, they're both fun, more fun. <laughs> yes, I know, yeah. <laughs> more fun comics. Um, again, your narration was, was fun. No, oh, stop. Um, Overall, it was it was fun, and this little birdie gets to fly away with the rest of his friends. Mm. What do you think about Wotan as a villain? Oh yeah, he's a bad dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you think he's trapped under the earth forever? Um, I doubt it. Yeah. I mean, he's, on, he's really. as trapped under the earth as ever as much as Solomon Grundy's trapped in space forever, right? Uh, right, exactly. Yeah, I don't <laughs> care if like they they merge their powers together and like yeah. this will work. Yeah. Um, no, I'm sure they're both coming back. Yeah. So, and somebody else is coming back is you and I and Dr. Fate. <laughs> because uh, next time out, we are going to do almost the reverse of what we did this time. Uh, we're going to start out with um, two more Golden Age tales. Um, just a, another one from about mid-run of Dr. Fate. And then we're going to take a look at, uh, finally, his origin tale. Ah, we'll yeah. get to find out, you know, who he is and how he came to be. And then, as I say, we're going to uh, continue on back to the uh, second part of uh, the Showcase run uh, with Dr. Fate and Owlman. Awesome. So, that sounds great. Yep. So that'll be our next episode. So until then, um, for everyone who joined us, thank you for doing so. We hope you had a good time tonight. And we hope to see you here next time on the Parliament of Rooks podcast. Thanks, everybody. Fate. Fate can be the trap in your path. The bitter cup of your tears. Your wine of wrath. Fate. And be shade in the desert blaze. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or suggestions, you can email us at tporpodcast at gmail.com. Incomprehensible and strange. Fate can play a trick with a twine to weave the evil and good in one design. And so my destiny, I look at you and cannot see.